see here if I want to do this centering experience it says finally DEI programs and critical theory in general tend to center the lived experience that so again like the guy the 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 gentleman who wrote us on the email covered these mm -hmm. yeah. and he talked about this this standpoint epistemology right um, so Neil says, now I have no problem with including the voices of groups that have that may have been ignored in the past, but critical theorists have something different in mind. Uh, for example, um, he says, recall that Anderson and Collins wrote, quote, the idea that objectivity is best reached only through rational thought is a specifically Western and masculine way of thinking. One that we will challenge throughout this book. <laughs> um, They're not merely saying that listening to more people's perspective will help us overcome biases. They are saying that we need to be skeptical of the supposed ob objectivity of rational thought, oh boy, that's... which tends to be deployed to justify the power of cis hetero white men. That's how that, that's how that works. Um, mm -hmm. And he lists here some examples like even used in Christian circles, be the bridge, you know, does something similar there. Um, that's a book that was real popular evangelical circles. Uh, in, I'm going to skip down here. As Christians, we have to insist that our compassion must be grounded in truth, that our emotions must be reformed to Scripture, and that our experiences must be recognized as fallible. We dare not allow anyone, whether they are white or black or purple, to live, sorry, to place their lived experience beyond the scrutiny of Scripture, objective evidence, or open dialogue. Mm -hmm. And that is the truth. Like you could point out the fact that, yeah, do some, do, does the, do the powers that be sometimes um, claim objectivity that's not really objective to force their power dynamic and use, utilize that to control people? Of course. Yeah. I mean, you think of trust the science, right? Yeah. And Fauciism and all this stuff that we just went through. Those were cases of misusing um, objectivity in, in reason and science for power plays and they're still trying to do that with this latest joe rogan thing the scientist that he's coming okay. at like he's trying to say all oh, these guys aren't scientists you gotta you know this kind of thing we're the objective rational ones and everybody knows they're lying but so what you can't do with that though is undermine objectivity and rationality itself yeah that's it's 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 parallel to the to the conversation about like yeah, there are, there are times when people misuse scripture, right? So let's throw out, the so let's yeah. throw out this as the authoritative mm. starting point. We can't do that. Like we have to recognize, yeah, there are difficulties yeah. in interpretation at times. Um, there are people that misuse the scripture. But if you throw away the, the very foundation, you're, flo you're, you're floating in midair. And then you're in this progressive Christianity where you just make it up as you go. Mm -hmm. And it has no, you have no, no plumb framework, line at yeah. all. Okay. So they're, they're, using, they're using these ideas to get rid of the plumb line. Um, anything, any standard that can be argued because ultimately their it's whole thing is power-based. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to, they're utilizing postmodern epistemology yeah. as a weapon to ward off anybody that exposes their false narratives. So that's what DEI, again, is. is the tip yeah. of this iceberg. Ooh. So he says, I've just offered a strident critique of DEI programs based on critical theory, but I certainly don't want to stop there. Let me quickly lay out five basic principles that need to guide any Christian diversity program. All right, so the first one is really good, scripture over everything. I think, yeah, no matter what 
program you come up with which these- which is uh, against the doing away of objectivity and rationality. Right. So that's good. Yes. That's a good place. That's going to put you at odds again with yeah, you every won't, won't. single <laughs> DEI program yeah. Yeah. I've ever seen implemented up to this point. <laughs> okay. Scripture over everything is against yes. standpoint epistemology and all that. Okay. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. And then when you look at the scripture, it'll put you against the other two points. Gotcha. Okay. Partiality, all that kind of stuff. Oh, so, okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to read all the way through that, but you know that's that great that's starting place. Yeah, great starting place. That's awesome. Um, mission over diversity is his second one. Mission over diversity, and I think that's great. Like, so what? Here's what I would say: like, don't don't do the DEI thing, but if you do come up with a program where you're like, man, we want to be more aware. Like you would in, in a missionary circumstance, we're going uh, um, to to, serve, to, love, to to Japan or something. To I want to get to know the Japanese people, yeah. like okay, or I want to make them feel comfortable and welcome. You got a piece of fuzz. Thanks, <laughs> um, use these principles because they're good. Mission over yes, diversity, over diversity, which combats. The equal outcomes. Yes. They 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 want to be missional. Well, he's suggesting suggesting that we be missional. DEI suggests yes diversity. The mission is diversity. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if your I mission, for instance, is good, is com- is flying, you know, flying planes or making, you know, uh, or, or you know, you're over, you're the dean of the math department. According to DEI, you you your mission of teaching math and instructing students should take to, backseat to, to making sure you have the right representations in, in that department. Okay. So he's saying, no, flip that. Mission over diversity. Listen, I think diversity is generally a good thing because we live in a diverse country. Um, I'm going to pause there. I think I agree with him in in essence that like, yeah, diversity, depending on how you define diversity, can be a good thing. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Um, especially when you're talking about like growing a robust Christian understanding, like it's good to read outside of your comfort zone it's good to rub shoulders with people that come from different backgrounds and i as a cosmopolitan person i'm drawn to that like i love to go to different cultures i love to experience different types of food different types of music yeah i think it's like in in an overall growth process it's beautiful however i do think there's a tendency like he said it's good thing and i agree i think some people think it's a necessary thing and if you have this experience where you're not doing that that you are inherently worse like that there's something wrong with that and i don't think that that's the case either mm-hmm. nor do i think the case that it's the case that churches for instance let's say they're in the middle of like north dakota and they you know they have white folks are make up the main community that church isn't necessarily less good than a church that's in new york city it depends on are they following Jesus? Are they teaching the scripture? That's the main thing, and they might miss out on some cool experiences of miss of mi- mixing out yeah. with cultures. But it's not a it's not necessarily a lack thereof. They made it a sin to yes. not do it. Yeah. to not do it is so, sinful. Neil's not doing that, but and I he nor is he saying if you intentionally yes. reject the idea of it that it's not a sin as well it's like right you want to be careful with the terms and definitions like yes that. yes so yeah the, it's, a, it's it they're speaking to dei speaks to your intentions yeah and sometimes something's just not on your radar well he's calling that racist <laughs> you know what right. i mean because right um, it, like definition. like we should make that a major part of your vision statement i don't think it's a major part i think it should be welcoming to everybody that, like you should embody <sighs> christian principles 
And that takes care of it. And that takes care of it. And you don't, and then you don't have to count heads. You don't have to say, oh man, I looked on your website. You only have white people on the staff. Therefore something's wrong with you guys. That's the conclusion. Like even, even you at Liberty, like how many black folks on the faculty, you know, that's, that's, that's not really the question. Like, man, are they hiring biblically? Uh, how how are you guys doing it at training up champions for Christ? Like those are the questions, not this diversity rubric. And I think we've all been impacted by that. Yes. And that's what I want to like push against is like, yeah, is it cool to have like genuine, you know, Indian food and Chinese food or rub shoulders with somebody who came from, you know, communist China and, mm-hmm. and especially a Christian. Like it's amazing. It's a great experience. But I don't want to put that on anybody like if they're if they're not having those experiences it's because they've been racist or have blocked it unless they have and you can point to that and say here's where they have been partial ethnically partial against people that would be the biblical way does that make sense Mm -hmm. so he says it's good to personally know people who are brothers and sisters in christ with different ethnic backgrounds different jobs different educations different socioeconomic statuses that's a blow to our ethnocentrism, our clannishness, and our intellectual snobbery. It, yeah, it, and, it, and it can be. Um, yeah, it can be. Um, and often is. I'd say that. But all that diversity, uh, here he agrees with what we said, but all that diversity is a byproduct of the gospel. Amen. What? Do we not believe in the sovereignty and power of God? Has not God elected people from every tribe, nation, and tongue? Has not God given us a mission to reach the world? So, friends, preach the gospel because it will unite people across lines of race, class, and gender. Let's stop the navel-gazing and look outward. You want to see diverse people united? Preach the gospel that unites them. Preach the finished work of Christ. Preach him breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. Preach sin, redemption, and regeneration, and you will find people who used to hate each other now worshiping before the throne. And we found that to be the case. Like when we'd done ministry, um, young adult ministry, we were in Tampa. So you had a bunch of different ethnicities, a bunch of different cultures. We never aimed to make it, you know, oh, man, we got to do this this type of thing to to appeal to this group and appeal to that group. We did kind of what was naturally there, what God had placed for us uh, musically, vibe-wise, style-wise, and it ended up being super mixed. You know, it, it, like not only ethnically, but I remember my good friend, like uh, our, our good buddy Ryan, who led our music, you know, he just wasn't, his thing wasn't academics at all. But I remember him having a conversation with uh, Brent, who was like super heady, super academic. These are two guys that probably would have never had a conversation sure. in life. Sure. And they're chopping it up and becoming friends, you know, and it, stuff like that, yeah, intergenerational. And it was, I think, because we were just presenting good biblical truth and letting it fall wherever it landed. Mm-hmm. You know, I... I as you were just reading that, I just got this thought in my head. I feel like I think the term diversity has become such an idol. Mm. And I see this idol and I feel like the, we're all staring at this same idol but putting a different shade on it. Mm. The world has diversity, inclusion, all walks of life, Christian or unchristian. And then we're trying to spin the, uh, the, the shade on it that says, oh, we can we can do this part and then we'll be deemed good by the world. And yes. I just think we just need to tear it down. And like he said, go back to the scripture over everything. But that's a great point. Babe. Yeah, I, think I feel we, like we're saying, yeah, this part's good. The world's like, 
worship and bow down to this. Yep. We're pushing this on you guys and it's just Yeah, we gotta know we gotta know what time it is. Like we're not gonna please them. If we're biblical, we're gonna be put in the category of racist, xenophobic, yeah. all that kind of yeah. stuff. So okay. you gotta make your peace with that. Not try to virtue signal as though they're gonna let you out of the you know, out of the ire of the right. the eye of Sauron, you know. <laughs> okay. And so on. no, that's a great point, but uh, so here's the third one opportunity over equity. Opportunity over equity. Opportunity okay. over equity. Mm-hmm. Um, and he puts that cartoon up there. I, I won't even go through it because you, for those of you who can't see it, it'll just take too long to explain it. But um, if equity is our is our only goal, then what is the limiting principle? You know, where do you, where does that stop? Like in other words, Ooh, that's like good. How far? Yeah, you're you're spreading that across the board, and yes. to what degree? Yes. So if we're allowed to treat some people unequally, then what exactly is disallowed? Mm. Let's say I want to attain test score equity. Am I allowed to abol- just abolish tests? And that literally is what people like Kendi want to do. Yeah. Get rid of standardized testing right. as one because example. Because intellectualism is subjective. Like to be intelligent and educated, that's a t- yes. subjective thing. Yeah, he subjectivized it because yeah. he wants that standpoint epistemology because mm-hmm. that's, we- that's the epistemological weapon needed mm. for his, yeah. his uh, method here. Um, am I allowed to give... A few people in a particular racial group an F to even out the averages. Jeez. Or A. Or an A. If equity is our only measure of what is just, then what's to stop someone from implementing clearly unjust policies in the name of equity? Mm, that's good. No. And not only is what's to stop, but again, but remember the people that crafted DEI are explicitly stating to do that. It's not like, oh, man, that might happen one day. They've already, that's in their playbook. That's like play, that's play number one and three. Mm. (laughs) Um, Okay, so here's my suggestion. And I think this is a good one. Focus on procedures, not on outcomes. Yeah. And on individuals rather than on groups. Ask whether a particular procedure limits access to particular individuals. So procedures, not outcomes, individuals, not groups. Does that make sense? Yeah. For example, online-only applications might limit access to people without the Internet. In-person campus interviews might limit access to people who can't afford a flight. If a particular procedure limits access, then remedy it and see if access is approved. But don't make sweeping policy change changes based on nothing more than vague notions of equity. Mm. Now, again, like, if you do that, the DEI people that are giving you a grade <laughs> are going to give you, you an F. Right. Uh, okay. There's two more here. So one of them is charity over inclusion. Charity over inclusion. Okay. Fourth, we should recognize that institutional cultures can marginalize certain groups. For example, the only female student in an all-male engineering program or the only male student in an all-male nursing may feel uncomfortable, not only because of sinful discrimination, but also simply because they are different. Paul shows us the response in 1 Corinthians 8, love, lay down your preferences to build others up. And that principle actually goes in both directions. People in the majority culture needs to be asking, how can we sacrifice our preferences to make others feel welcome? People in the minority culture need to remind themselves that they should be willing to forego their preferences as well as for the sake of their brothers and sisters. 
Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's biblical. And I think that's where the gospel covers that. You know, it's like mm. you, you see a person that's downtrodden. You see the, you, you want to be the good Samaritan. You want to be the person that extends the love of Christ to people yeah. for various reasons. If they're marginalized, if they're lonely, if they're only gender in that one class or what have you. So I feel like a robust understanding of the Christian worldview and Christian way covers that. Yeah. No, you're you're exactly right. I think, you know, I think some people Lame might might push back across. against this in essence of saying like um you know, this idea that uh majority culture like h- how do we sacrifice our preferences to make others feel welcome when that's put into practice sometimes it goes too far. Sure. Um and you you feel like, man, you know, we got we got this, you know, Hispanic families coming. So now we got to do half our worship needs to be in Spanish. And you, and that's fine. You know, it's like sometimes I think you can go too far in that. And then sometimes you can go too far in demanding that. And and you got something. I was going to say, I don't feel like they practice this themselves. They're pushing it on, on others. But I don't often see. You see those debates where yeah. um, the speaker goes into the classroom and the people are preaching diversity and yep. hate the hegemony, quote unquote. But they're not the ones, you know, they're in that class. They're in the majority white class preaching diversity. And I'm like, what, where have you done it in your own life? Yes. Where are you preaching? Where are you living it? Yes. What you preach. But anyway. And I'm, I would I'm say judging. like, yeah, I would say kind of like, like you don't want to like imprudently go so far. Like I, I think, you know, when we're having someone to our house, we try to think like, man, how do we. How do we make a good atmosphere yeah. what do they where we like? can show them Christ, that kind of thing. Sure. But, you know, if you do have a like a, a church of like 300 people, you have to be careful of overly catering to sometimes yes. those few voices that want to want to push you to cater to those few voices. Yeah, it, <laughs> in it's a way weird. that, it that gets, gets weird. And so that's the only thing I would say. But uh, but I think in in the main, his point is right. Charity over inclusion. Sure. You know, in a in a prudent way, practice trying to trying to reach out to people. It's Christ. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Truth over feelings. And then uh, finally, five here is truth over feelings. Um, look at these pictures. You can see he has pictures up here. The alt right rally in Charlottesville, which I'm skeptical that that was a really an alt right rally. <laughs> We've been to Charlottesville, and I'm looking at it like, oh, this this this. We weren't there for that event, but when we went there and had dinner. I was like, oh, wow, this is actually a progressive area. Um, makes me think maybe there's a little bit of J6 going on in that that initial rally, but who knows. Uh, a hands up, don't shoot sign from the Michael Brown protests, Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, the, the 1898 Wilmington race riot, Jesse Smollett, Juicy Smollett. <laughs> the, ni- <laughs> the 1921 uh, Tulsa race massacre, they probably call up strong emotions. But are all those emotions necessarily correct? No. Sometimes our emotions are appropriate and grounded in truth. Sometimes they are inappropriate because they are based in error. We are called to offer people truth in love and to reform our own feelings to the truth when when there's a disconnect. Our feelings don't determine truth. And that's a, you know, that's a big point. So again, just to, just to quickly review this is the five things, five basic principles that need to guide any Christian diversity program. Scripture over everything, mission over diversity, opportunity over equity, charity over inclusion, truth over feelings. So I think up to this point, 
I said that this is where the turn, this actually the next section here is where I think he could have ended it because I think all that's good so far. So you got the layout of, you know, DEI is the tip of the iceberg. The iceberg is critical theory. Here's what it is. Here's the negative. Here's the, you know, some positive elements of what you might be trying to aim for, but here's the negative elements. And then here's five things you need to consider if you're coming up with any kind of diversity program. Now here's section five, Roman numeral five in his article, I think is where for me the problems are and it's the way forward with this DEI thing. If you wanna grow in your confidence in knowing what you believe and why you believe it, if you wanna ground your faith in biblical Christianity and step into who God has called you to be, I wanna tell you about a great program put on by Impact 360 and it's called Propel. Propel is a one-week transformational leadership and discipleship experience where high school students gather together to be grounded in a biblical worldview as they learn how to follow Jesus, have a godly influence, learn how to disciple their peers, and boldly live out their faith in their daily lives. So they're having two sessions this summer. The first one is June 19th through the 25th, and the second one is June 26th through July 2nd. These programs fill up really quickly, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So we'll put the link below if you're interested in looking into it. And we'll see you this summer. Um, so, you know, we'll cover this last and we'll go back to the Chick-fil-A thing and see where what is their DEI program looking like. So the way forward. Finally, let me suggest a model of how the church can approach conversations around diversity, equity, inclusion. I'm going to rely heavily on the work of George Yancey, a black evangelical sociologist. Now, this is why I think that this section of Neil's um, article misses the mark for me, because I, I don't think George Yancey is a reliable person. I, w- I wouldn't build a uh, I wouldn't rely heavily on his work for this area. Okay, it's not a specialty. I, well, it is a, it, it is a specialty. It's because oh, I disagree I with his viewpoints. Okay. And so I used to think like, you know, he has a he has a famous uh, book that was called, what was it called? Uh, Beyond Racial Gridlock. A lot of evangelicals are reading that. All the diversity DI programs, I saw people with that. Overall, I think on the scale, it's not that bad. Like it's not, you know, it's not, I don't think his views are as off as like a Jamar Tisby. Um, may kind of be in the Eric Mason realm, something like that. Um, and as I began to look more into his sociological stuff, I was like, oh, okay, I see where he's, you know, where areas where I would think that he misses the mark from a biblical perspective. I think he adopts some um, perspectives that run against biblical impartiality. Anyways, I say all that to say, like, not to poison the well against George Yancey and say that therefore yeah, everything he says is, is false, because yeah. that would be, you know, a genetic fallacy. But what I am saying is that, you know, once I realized like where he was coming from, began to look into his stuff a little bit more, I think he's not he's not a person that I would recommend relying on heavily to develop a way forward okay. in this topic. Um, and I think that'll show here in, in a little bit. So and, and Neil says he doesn't agree with everything. To be fair, so mutual accountability on pages 40 through 46 of his new book, Beyond Racial Division, he describes his mutual accountability model in terms of active listening, shared responsibility, and practical focus. First, his model is primarily about dialogue or what he calls 
collaborative conversations. conversations. So when you think, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, immediately that's right on like, schedule. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's in the zeitgeist. So it's like we don't like the idea of the fact that some perspectives are just blatantly wrong, and that actually some perspectives don't really deserve to be platformed. Or at least if they're platformed, they need to be debated, not not brought in the like we're collaborating in this yeah. conversation. Do you oh, see that set up? Yeah. Um, and, and people will say, like, we just want to hear more voices. We want to multiply. It's, it's sort of this. Everybody counts. Everybody's story matters. Yes. That's the political correctness. Just yes. It's coming through already. So you can see yeah. that seeping through. Um, it's not just more side. voices and we kind of like add them all up and split the difference or, you know, take an average of what everybody's saying. That kind of de- democratic approach to knowledge is just not a good epistemology. Yeah. It's what is what is the relevant that gets us away from objectivity. Yeah. See how that and subtly does that? First, if scripture first, that presupposes yes. that some voices are not in line with scripture. Yes. And, and now so Neil's going to try to, he's going to try to rescue really? that here okay. in a minute. Okay. Um, no, but that's a, what you said there is great. So he said, uh, it demands that we, so here's Neil again. It demands that we listen to what the other side is saying and then restate their arguments in our, in our own, own words, words. so that, so that they can say, yes, that's my argument. You okay. understand what I'm For saying. Sure. Now that's fine. If that's all you mean by collaborative conversation is, I'm hearing your argument. I'm, I'm restating it, it in a way that accurately represents it. And then I'm going to argue against it. That's fine. If that's what you mean by collaborative conversation. He doesn't talk about the arguing against it, though, I don't think so. But anyways, it also demands that we share responsibility. So you see, I skip like I understand what you're saying, but that it can't stop there. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. To what to what point? Exactly. We understand each other, therefore. Yes. Oh, that's great. I've heard you. You've heard me. Is that a part of the healing? No, no, no. The next step is, and here's where I think you're wrong. Pretty much. I was wondering what what he thinks. Okay. Uh, But he goes right from there to, it also demands that we share responsibility. This this is another phrase when I saw it, I was like, okay, what do you mean by that? Yes, people from the, uh, listen to this, yes, people from the majority culture will likely have to make more adjustments than people from the minority culture. Hegemony. So, yeah. What, what, what he takes away with one hand, standpoint epistemology, this ends up leaning back into that a little bit. So he's saying you're likely, if you're part of the, so now if you're the white person, you're likely going to have to take more responsibility. Why is that the case? If we're talking about objectively looking at Michael Brown and we discover that the narrative was false, what responsibility should a white person or a black person who disagrees with the Michael Brown narrative, what responsibility do they have in this? Do they have the responsibility to, um, you know, take on and, and say we mourn because of racism when they don't think it was an act of racism? Right. Like Ooh, again, this is, this is where George yeah. Yancey, I think, um, is gonna is gonna mislead more than he helps. Um, so y- let me continue. All people are called to provide input and offer solutions. Yes, all people are so, called to provide. That's interesting. Yeah, but so whites are not there simply to shut up and listen, which is good. He said all people are called on to provide input and offer solutions. Th- and you rightly noted that. Note that. Hold on to that. And finally, George's approach is practical. It doesn't call on people to adopt an anti-racist identity 
or commit their lives to social justice. It focuses on specific problems. Here's the, here's the important point. It focuses on specific problems and seeks to build a consensus, compromise solution that everyone can endorse. Mm, that doesn't work. That's interesting. That's, the, that's where the sum goes wrong. Now, if you're saying you're seeking to build a consensus, with who? All the voices involved. So I ask you this, Neil. This is where I would respond to my brother, Neil. You argued against Christian nationalism in part because there were racist people under that tent. Or do you want those racist voices in this to be in the conversation so that we can find a compromise solution that they would endorse as well? Hmm. Or do you want to say, no, that's wicked and vile, and we reject that? And we stand against that. That's where George Yancey misses it. Yancey uh, misses it here. So I'm going to continue. Does that make sense so yeah. far? Yeah. Um, now I'm not. I'm not even sure. Neil says I agree with everything George writes, but that's okay. That's one of his main points. But I, w- I wish what you disagreed with was what you just listed in that paragraph. That's what we need to fix. Um, We don't have to agree on absolutely everything in order to have fruitful conversations about these topics. Now, that's true. But, yeah, what you got? Yeah, how do you come to the table with a group of people who want to train your kids in LGBTQ ideology? How do you dialogue and come to a consensus on that? And maybe I'm missing something, but I don't think so. Go ahead. Yeah. So he's so he's giving us a model for dialogue that dialogue. the church desperately needs. Because so, the church is. So let me let me try <laughs> to apply his methodology to a hypothetical example. He okay, says. the church. Of course, the church needs. Mm. Hypothetical scenario. Oh, <laughs> here's here's the hypothetical. Here's the scenario. A small Bible college has a student body that is eighty percent white. In a faculty that is 90% white, a number of black students have expressed dissatisfaction at the lack of black representation. In response, the administration has committed to creating a student body that is 30% non-white and a faculty that is 20% non-white by 2025. Did you hear that? So in response, the administration has committed to creating a student body that is 30% non-white, so they want to go from 80%, so 20% non-white, they want to go to 30% by 2025. And a faculty, they want to go from 10% to 20%. 20%. How do you do that? Just think on that. You just How do you create folk. that? You just hire folk. Based on what? Skin color. Okay. So a group of anonymous students and parents has written an open letter protesting the adoption of critical race theory by the college. That's the hypothetical scenario. This is where Neil uh, continues. Now, how should we as Christians approach this problem? Should students take over the college president's office, hand him a list of 34 demands and threaten to go to MSNBC unless he meets them all? Should the trustees demand the resignation of all woke faculty and set up a tribunal to interrogate prospective students for signs of wokeness? No. We start by listening. What are both sides saying? Okay. Okay. I don't know if this example came from George. I hope it came from George. (laughs) Um, Anyways, 
So what are both sides saying? And then Neil, he represents the progressive side here. Okay. okay. Here's the progressive side of the issue. And notice I didn't call it the person of color perspective or the black perspective. Now, I appreciate that. That's a that's a positive step. Like, don't call it like here's the black perspective. That already gives into the narrative of the critical race theorists. Mm-hmm. This is a progressive side. Why? Uh, because people are individuals. They have their own thoughts. They don't just regurgitate the talking points of their gender or ethnic group. So what concerns do they raise? They point out that this Bible college was founded by whites trying to avoid school integration. At the time, blacks were explicitly prohibited from attending. Given its history, blacks are uncomfortable applying to the college. And is it any wonder when people say, oh, but we've gotten rid of these policies decades ago. Ask yourself, how old are the incoming class members, parents and grandparents? If your own father remembers being forbidden to attend, do you really think you'll be eager to apply? So that's that's progressive. Mm-hmm. They're just saying, you know, founded in integration, da, da, da. OK. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, people of color on campus feel culturally isolated. Listen, before you start calling people snowflakes and demanding that they grow up, think about how this feels. Imagine you went to a church service in sandals and Birkenstocks and everyone else was wearing a suit and tie. You didn't know any of the songs. You didn't get any of the cultural references in the sermon. After the sermon, there was a potluck and you didn't like any of the food. Now, if you're a mature Christian, can you overlook all that for the sake of the gospel? Absolutely, yes. But if the church is full of mature Christians, how will they respond? Will they sneer at you and tell you to suck it up? Absolutely not. They will say, how can we let him know he's welcomed and beloved as a brother in Christ? Finally, when George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery were murdered, there was largely silence, not lamentation, not an express for concern. Not prayer, just silence. By the way, I'm not saying we should jump to conclusions. We have due process in the country for a reason. But obviously we can lament that a person was killed and pray that justice would be done without making any pronouncements about guilt or innocence. Any thoughts on that progressive perspective so far? I have thoughts on that. I think that when you're talking about people feeling comfortable because of the history, I think that's a little bit of, you know, I get it, like... It's high on the virtue list yeah, right it's, now. It's super high. It's like that's the number one thing you should be doing is making people feel comfortable. Shame on you if you're not. It's like yeah. it should be on your radar, wherever you go, what classroom you're in. Look for the marginalized. And, and I think yeah, that pressure from culture feels weird. Right. Um, if it's a natural flow, if it's all, you know, it, they even shun people who say, I've always included people. If, you, if you're not fighting for equity. Yeah. So it just feels. Yeah. I, so I don't. It's all that. If I was, if if, if, a, if a person was saying that to me, I think your response is good. Like, I would be like, you know what? I, I think you've it. already bought into a good deal of this stuff. And so. It's everywhere. We need to help, <clears throat> especially college students. Like, it's time for you to learn to mature, like, in your thinking. Yeah. And I think, so for, even for me, like. You know, there's there's growing up in charismatic world. There's some beef sometimes with like Baptist world like they 30 years ago, they would have called my family heretics. Right. Mm -hmm. Institutions. I go to them now. That doesn't cross my mind at all. Like what what crossed my mind is how is it now? Some that were favorable five years ago. Now I feel uncomfortable because they went woke some places that were great. 
Okay. Now I'm like, y'all are off. And so, you know, now it's there's more tension. It, so I think this idea that, man, you know, 50 years or like 100 years ago, it was starting integration. Therefore, no, yeah, they're probably going to feel uncomfortable. I think that's an overstatement. Now people would respond to me and say, well, that's because you're white and, and you're, you know, you haven't been, you know, grown up in, in, in the kind of context where your race was looked down upon, that kind of thing. But he's the, the, the thing about this, though, is they're asking you to imagine it. Yeah. So as I imagine these scenarios, yeah. what I'm saying is, is like, I think I think a good dose of like, yeah, it is time to grow up is actually a proper response. Yeah. And I'm, I'm more than just making people feel comfortable. I want them to feel strong in who they are, no matter what the environment is. It's like feeling comfortable. I mean, how far can how long can we do that? And when does it take root in their own selves that way they don't need it? from people and yeah. that that sounds insensitive but yeah welcome to the life of humanity it's like we won't always feel comfortable yes. is it an injustice each and every time i think that's something to process no you're right babe you're exactly um, right yeah um and and i think so i he, mean we're not comfortable around our family members <laughs> listen this thanksgiving like, i don't it's know like yeah comfortable i mean i get yeah. it yeah yeah, no, I, I, I. But I, I love the reminder. This reminds me of the call of Christ likeness, just to be Christ like towards yeah. people. Um, yeah. And in Christ, you know, He told the truth. He loved people, and not at the expense of truth. Listen, but anyway. No, you're you're right, but so I think that it's important here too, like what He said. But absolutely yes. But if the church is full of mature Christians, how will they respond? Um, yeah, I don't think sneering at someone saying no. suck it up is right, but, uh, no. but instructing someone and helping them to see through like, Hey, here's the mentality we've all been propagandized in and, and from, and, love, and from a place yeah. of love, like from this love. is the opportunity for growth. Also, we're talking about institutions here and should, and hiring practices, we're not talking about like, how do we Just make fellowship. you feel comfortable by putting something in the potluck that reminds you of home? Does that make sense? Yeah. So if, even if I granted everything that this progressive purpose person's saying and I feel the pain, I feel the weight, does that prop up the idea that we should put a stat and say we're going to hire this many people by 2025 based on these? It doesn't even come close. Mm -hmm. So that's not what I want to say here is, okay, I've listened to the progressive perspective, but they, they shouldn't persuade someone who's looking for evidence that that's a good policy because it's not an argument for that. Okay. It doesn't follow. Um, we should be impartial because of this. What does follow is like conversations of, well, maybe how do we feel? How do we make people? We, we, we have an uptick of people coming in from Trinidad and Tobago. Is there something we can do to make them like feel especially comfortable? So here's the conservative perspective. Next, let's listen to conservatives. What are they saying? First, they point out that the school has rejected its segregationist origins and no longer discriminates against blacks. Second, they insist that racial preferences in hiring violates the Bible's prohibition of partiality. That's an argument. The exclusion of black students was wrong precisely because it violated God's commands. Therefore, we're going to fix the problem by violating these same commands in a different direction. Third, 
Is the college student body disproportionately white relative to the U.S. as a whole? Yes. But is it disproportionately white relative to its local community? Not really. It actually matches the demographics of local community pretty well. Finally, students, student protests promoted the Black Lives Matter organization, which suggests that at least some students may be embracing unbiblical ideologies surrounding issues of race and gender. That's concerning. Okay, and so they presented... I think actual arguments against this hiring policy, right? Yeah. yeah. The other side presented arguments for com- why we should be compassionate. Mm-hmm. But I think here it's being presented as though these are equal arguments from each side, mm-hmm. potentially. Now, maybe Neil wouldn't say that. Maybe he's trying to throw them a bone, like, you know, because he doesn't want to, he wants to make, like, he, this really is a good way to think through this. Like, mm-hmm. it's a good exercise. But here's what he asked. Here's what Neil asked. Okay, so what's the solution? How can we make everyone happy? See, that's the wrong question. Sheesh, yeah. We don't, we're not required to make everyone happy. And here's where I want to, now I think he goes a little hard, but I just want to play this because this is, this was, and and I think sometimes he's a little hard on Neil, harder than I would be. But I think I want to play this one section where he's responding to this is A.D. Robles. 7,000% non-white and a faculty that is 20% non-white by 2025. A group of anonymous students and parents has written an open letter protesting the adoption of critical race theory by the college. Now, how should we as Christians approach this problem? And I got to be honest with you, Neil, what problem? I mean, the only problem I see is that the administration gave this complaint the time of day at all. Like, what is that supposed to mean? It's too, the, 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 the faculty's too white. There's just too many white students here. The percentages just don't add up. It's just too much. Too many whites. Here's how you address this as Christians. Go pound sand. What are you talking about? Go find another college if you don't like this one. I mean, there you go. There is no problem here. There's no such thing as a too white faculty or a too white student body. You don't like it? Go find a different college. <laughs> That's <Ooh>. a- <laughs> Yeah. That's our reasonable Latino voice there. Mm. But anyway, you know, like I say, he goes a little hard. But but I think he's he's hitting on something that actually has some 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 weight to it. It's like you're 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 accepting the premise. Right. It's like automatic problem, even yes. if it represents its demographic. Yes. And it's, we don't need to make everybody and it falls yeah. short if even if it represents its demographic. But. You know, he tried to bring up a little history. Anyway. Yeah, no, that's good. And so Neil says, you know, how do you, how do we make everyone happy? I don't know. What what do you want from me? I'm a theor- theoretical chemist, not a magician. <laughs> and to be fair, George Yancey doesn't give you solutions either. His point is that there's no one size fits all solution to every institution. However, because there's no one size fits all, we can't conclude that therefore this policy is okay. Right. Mm-hmm. This the the presuppositions off the the policies off, and so George Yancey wants to sit around and have conversations about it, collaborative conversations, and we need to bring this to our churches. Now, I, I, I'm not going to read through this because we're going way too long here, but here's here's the possible compromise. So he says, create a multi-perspective council on race. Now, what do these perspectives consist of? Well, he said, don't do it all woke people, but don't do anti-woke people either, all anti-woke. You want to have, and he, and he sets it up where you have three people on the woke spectrum, some further down, and then three people on the anti-woke. 
Now, remember that Neil is one of the main people pointing out that wokeism is a worldview in conflict with biblical Christianity. So should churches and Christian institutions have woke perspectives in equal amount put on a multi-perspective council on race that are going to give us collaborative conversation where we can make everybody on that panel happy? That, that, this is such a problem. Now, I don't think, again, that George Yancey would want to include neo-fascist white supremacists on a board panel. Three of those and three anti-fascists you know, fascists, and say we're going to have them come up and counsel us and give, give a collaborative counsel, multi-perspective, and implement policies that, that we, where we seek to make everybody happy. Woody, mm. no. See, this has already given, given the game away. You've already committed the error here. We cannot, like, the woke ideology is not something to be included in a collaborative conversation from which we draw policies for Christian institutions. The woke ideology is something that should be exposed and opposed. Mm-hmm. So at a university, you might have them on a panel as a debate panel. Not yeah. a council on what to do That's with good. race. That's really good. So that, again, this is, this is a major, major, major problem. Um, he goes on to say some good stuff about reading broad, unity in Christ. All that's good. Um, but so, so back to my original point. Yeah. Um, DEI, I have never seen it done without implementing tenets of critical theory, which is inherently anti-biblical. Neil, a great thinker who's anti-woke, tries to construct a theoretical scenario that shows you a way forward in doing it right and gets it completely wrong. So what yeah, I what I say is like if Neil can't do it, don't try. <laughs> <laughs> if Neil can't yeah. do it, don't try. And so last thing I want to do here is go to Chick-fil-A's website, okay? And and since we're behind time, I'm just going to skip through. Uh, you can see it here if you're if you're flipping through. Eric Eric McReynolds, the the VP of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion. Um, he goes through recruiting top tier talent. Now, first of all, when you flip through these these pictures, mm-hmm. what do you notice? People of color. Diversity. Diversity, right? Mm-hmm. So they're implementing the DEI thing by showing you, sure. you know, it's fine. It's all good. It's a minor thing, but just just interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so he said, we know that recruiting and hiring talent, which represents the broadest definition of diversity, enables Chick-fil-A to best serve our independent owner and operators and our guests. To help us do that, we partner with colleges and universities in the U.S., Puerto Rico, and Canada to source talent for a range of opportunities, including internships, co-ops, fellowships, and various development programs. In addition, we routinely collaborate with various national – listen, they routinely collaborate. So this is part of their multi-perspective council, right? with various national diverse professional development organizations. These organizations have included Women's Food Service Forum, National Black MBA Association, and Association of Latino Professionals of America. Now, so if you go real quick, Women's Food Service Forum, and here's the website, you know, I won't go through all of it. What do you see here? Very much uh, a diverse 
what do you see here specifically? Celebrate Pride Month. Celebrate Pride Month. These are their these are their Get Smart on Leadership Today articles that they linked. What's here? LGBTQIA plus. And, and it says what? Speak your truth. <laughs> Um, speaking out, uh, speaking out, how to be an effective ally and support the LGBTQA. Mm-hmm. So this is this stuff is eaten up with wokeism. Okay, um, this is who Chick Fil A again is routinely collaborating with on their DEI program. I'm gonna skip. I'm gonna go to La- Latino Professionals of America. Latino. Any thoughts on that? You know, I like I said up top, I had lost hope <laughs> that Chick-fil-A will um, maintain their tradition. I think they've made a turn definitely towards this direction. Yeah. I mean, obviously. So this I, was it. No, that's good, babe. This is good. So I'll, when you look at Latino, the thing here that I'm just going to shorten it because we're low on time. They they do the same thing. Okay. They're doing the, the whole Primat thing. Had a Latinos that are LGBTQ that Affirming, are leading yeah. corporate. Okay. But I want to show you this. Is what I want to show you real quick. The partners. Um, they also Latinx diversity. Anytime you see Latinx, you could just run. What that is is they replace Latino with the X because they don't like the patriarchy. Latino oh. is male, is the male oh, term. I didn't like, know that. Okay. So Latina, Latino. So when people call people Latino, they're assuming they're giving, it's like mankind. Masking, they don't okay. like the word mankind anymore. Oh, uh, boy. Human, human okay, kind. I didn't know that. So Latinx is kind of, it's it's one of those critical theory from that perspective. And I'm trying to find um, uh, clients and partners here. Clients and partners, okay, for Latino. Uh, what do you see here? Amazon. Amazon. Uh, you see all these AstraZeneca, right? Mm-hmm. Just so you know, they're like they're they're in league with these, you know, these big companies. BlackRock. Now, yes, that's the one I want to see. BlackRock. Now, if you remember back to Larry Fink, what does he put pressure on all these organizations to do? To do that. Yes. Yeah, to do they they get these scores ESCI. based on their woke rating. Yeah. Um, these are the people that Chick Fil A is. Let, let me let me quote them right routinely collaborating with mm. on their hiring process, recruiting mm. process. Yeah, it's not So if Christian. even if let's let's imagine that in this imaginary multiverse that the, there's there's one universe that has done DEI correctly. Well, Chick-fil-A does not seem to be among them. And so I just want to to end with that and just say man, like I, I pray that I pray I pray I pray to our friends and our family at Chick-fil-A, would you heed the words of this owner-operator? Would you understand, man, you are going down a path. You yeah. have went down that path. It's not too late to return. He's, he lovingly called you to repentance. Make an about-face turn and run in the opposite direction, no matter the cost. That is our plea. Please do it. That's all we got. Thank you for joining us for this long two-part uh, episode. I hope it was helpful And we, as we keep marching forward. And... Jesus' name. See you next time.